This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. I was in the gas station the other morning and there was a guy who was very loud and boisterous and he said the words that church has nothing to do with God. I thought, I just, it just broke my heart. Because as I come here this morning to be able to give each and one of you a hug or a handshake, to be able to hear all your voices this morning, sing in harmony with each other. I see all these young men getting experience, being song leaders and helping with the parts of worship as we are able to pray together in, in unity to our Heavenly Father. It's just nothing better than this. Amen. This is by far my favorite day of the week. And I know it's yours too. Thank you for being here today. It's so good to see each, and one, each one of you. I'm excited to study a portion of God's Word this morning. I've titled the study, A Different Gospel. Now I have titled the sermon out of some verses in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. And so I'd like to go ahead and get started this morning by reading those verses. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from Him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, So now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. This morning I would like to bring out two points here in these passages of Scripture. Unfortunately, Paul is having to write them and rebuke them for believing and allowing others to pervert the gospel that was preached to them and the gospel that they once believed in. What was happening happening is that Judaizers were coming in and they were adding to the gospel of Christ a few of the laws of the Old Testament. And they were believing. And they were teaching these things. But he said, 
you're, you're hearing and you're teaching a different gospel. But you see, that's not a different gospel. There is no different gospel. That is, there's only false doctrine if you change one word of the gospel. He said it's not another gospel. It is false doctrine is what he's saying. So the point I, I want to for us to understand in the process is that there is only one gospel. Paul said in the book of Ephesus, or to Ephesus, that there is one Lord. That there is one God. There is one Holy Spirit. There is one church. There is one faith. And there is one baptism. And he's saying here that there is only one gospel. And we are not to change that one gospel by one word. We're not to add or to take anything away from that gospel. Or it is not the gospel. It is a man's gospel. It is a false doctrine. And that's what they were doing here. And he also says that if you preach... Or if you listen to another gospel and believe it, he says, let yourself be accursed. Let yourself be cast away. He said, I don't care how much a man, how much education a man has. I don't care if he's devoted his whole life to the study of the Word of God. If he changes the gospel, you disfellowship him. You move him far away from the church because he has perverted it. He says, if an angel of heaven come down and preach another gospel than that which was given, than that of the gospel of Jesus Christ, let him be cast away from you. Let him be accursed. So we see here just how important it is that not only do we believe the true gospel, the one gospel, but that we teach it correctly as well. That we not add to it or take away. You know, I did a little search this morning to see how many churches were are within like a 10-mile radius of this building right here. I came up with about 40, about 40 different churches. Just within a 10-mile radius of here. And if I were to ask those members, what kind of gospel is preached? In your church, I guarantee you, I would hear probably five to seven different gospels. That should break our heart because it breaks God's heart. There's only one gospel. But there are seven to ten probably different gospels taught in this very community. You know, I look at the letter to Galatia and I happen to look when it was written. It was written 15 years after the day of Pentecost. 15 years. That's why he said, I, I just, I'm shocked that you're so soon removed from the gospel that was taught to you. you know, I, just, I think about Satan and how clever that he is. 
And I think as think about the prayer that Jesus said in the garden and pray for the for the unity of the church before he was to be crucified. I think what would be Satan's greatest tactic in dividing the church? It would be how you're saved. If he can divide us in that, then he's won. If he can change the gospel just a little bit, then he's won. So this morning, we want to look at a different gospel. We want to look at a gospel that is not the true gospel. It is a gospel that I hear every day being taught. And I want us to understand this gospel. Because it can be received and understood very easily if you don't have the full picture. But I want you to understand my heart this morning. I have a lot of sympathy for those Judaizers that went into church and, and perverted the gospel. Because you have to understand that they were, they were trying to bring in a method of religion that was done for thousands of years. It was almost in their DNA, you would say. And so here comes Jesus Christ, and the gospels all of a sudden has changed. And they just could not let it go. And some probably had good intentions. Some were very sincere. And there were probably some that just wanted to pervert the gospel. There are people today that teach a different gospel. And I believe that they're doing it with all sincerity. I don't believe that they're doing it just so they can deceive the masses. That was what they learned in seminary. It's what their uh, grandfather taught their parents and their parents taught them. And so when you hear something for 30 or 40 years of your life, and then you hear something different, that's going to be a hard pill to swallow. I think that we need to understand that and have sympathy. That we're not, not to use God's Word to, to boast or to say, I've got it all figured out and you don't. Like There needs to be some compassion and love on our part when it comes to sharing this gospel that we are to die for. The different gospel that we want to look at this morning is the gospel that you are saved by faith alone. That there's no external act that you can do to have salvation. There's no work that you can do that you are saved by faith alone. You know, when Satan deceived Adam and Eve, what did he do? He took God's word and he changed it by one word. He threw the word not in there. So he had God's word through one word in there. What did that do? That changed the whole meaning of God's word. 
A man today has thrown in one word, alone. And that's the problem that we have, because are we saved by faith? Absolutely. Are we saved by faith alone? No, we are not. And so we want to look at that. Again, they teach that there is no external act that you can do that's necessary for salvation. Where do they get this concept? Where do they get this theology? They get it from Ephesians chapter 2 and 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. What is that verse saying? It says that we are saved by grace through faith. That's what it's saying, isn't it? Not of ourselves, not of works, lest we should boast. That's what that verse is teaching, isn't it? But you see, if we take that verse, and we take other verses, verses like say that we are justified by faith. I mean, I could come up with 30 different verses that say that we are saved by faith. And put it with this verse, and I could teach the masses that we are saved by faith alone. It would be very easy to do. But unfortunately, we have to have, we have to see the big picture. I can take any verses and build a good argument. And I can build a good argument to say that we're saved by faith alone. But you see, that's not giving God's word the, 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 the merit that it deserves because we have to look at the whole picture. There's a reason why Paul said these words. We have to understand what was going on at the church of Ephesus. We have to understand what was going on at the church of, of Galatia, what was happening at Rome. When we understand that, then we can understand why he said what he did. So you can see, it can be very easy. It's like, okay, we're not saved by works here. There's nothing that we can do ourselves. So, honestly, we are saved by faith. We're justified by faith, so we're saved by faith. And then they throw alone. You know, 2 Timothy 3 and 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. All Scripture, not just the verses that we like, but all Scripture, that from Genesis to Revelation, is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for what? For doctrine. For that which we are to teach. For that which we are to obey. For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that a man may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So we have to see the big picture here. And that's what we kind of want to do this morning, just a little bit, and trying to understand this verse. What is Paul saying in this verse? He's saying that we're saved by grace. He's saying that we are not, that we are now, excuse me, under the law of grace. In James 2 and 10, I'd like to bring this verse to our attention. It says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. There was a dear brother that used to attend church here. 
And he misunderstood this verse. He thought that was referring to the law of Christ. The law of grace that we're now under. And so he thought, if I don't ask forgiveness for my sin before I die, I'm not going to go to heaven. But unfortunately, he misunderstood that this was talking about the law of Moses and how it was and how it was built. What happens is, and even it, what happens is that unless we can live a perfect life. Unless we are completely sinless, we cannot be justified in the eyes of God. That's the truth of the matter. Are any of us, have any of us been able to accomplish this? No, we are not able to do it. I could do work after work. I could do billions and billions of work. I could quit my job, neglect my family, and I could just do works for God. Every day. That's all I'm doing is works of God. But would they be enough to be, to, to be held as righteous in the eyes of God without the blood of Jesus? No. You see, that is what Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is teaching us. That there's no amount of works that we can do to be saved. Without the blood of Jesus. You see, it wouldn't be the unspeakable gift. It wouldn't be grace if we could do anything to earn it. Paul is saying that you can't save yourself by works. You have to have the blood of Jesus Christ, which is accompanied with God's grace. I love the, this verse in Romans 4 and 4. It says, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. What is he saying here? I'll use Brian and Ethan for example. Brian goes to Ethan. He says, Ethan, I need some work done. I want to hire you out. I need you to clean out the gutters. I need you to mow the lawn. I want you to organize the garage. And if you'll do that, I will give you $40. So he got Ethan's attention. And so Ethan, with all diligence, he goes out there and he mows that lawn and it's manicured perfectly. He goes and organizes the garage just as Brian likes it. And then he cleans out the gutters. There's not a leaf in it. So it's at that point when he finished the task of their agreement that Brian became indebted to Ethan. Brian, at that point, owed Ethan $40. Is that the kind of agreement that we have with God? Is there anything that we can do to deserve the blood of Jesus Christ? Did we deserve Him being scourged? Did we deserve Him being beat? And nailed upon the cross until he suffocated? Is there anything that we've done to deserve that? No. Absolutely not. We could work our whole life, but they would be, all of our righteousness, all of our works would just be as filthy rags, as Scripture saying. We have got to have the blood of Jesus. We have got to have grace. 
Because we're sinners. And that's what Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is teaching us. That we cannot be saved by words. God to have the blood of Jesus we have. We are saved by grace. Let's talk a little bit about this faith alone. Are we saved by faith only? I like this verse in John 12, 42 and 43. It says, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many, there were many that believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they dare not confess him. Lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they love the praise of men more than God. So these people believed in Jesus Christ that he was the Messiah. They believed that he was the Son of God. That he once sat in heaven with God and came down to this earth. They believed that. But because they loved the praise of men, they would not confess that amongst men or before God. Were they saved because of their faith? No, they were not. They believed though. They had faith. James 2 and 19 says, Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. You're on your way. The devils also believe and tremble. The devils and his angels, they know God. They've seen Him in all of His glory. They have seen Jesus Christ. They believe in Him and they tremble at their existence. There are many of us that do not tremble at God's existence, but these devils do. But is that going to save them from the lake of fire? No, it will not. James 2 and 24. You see then how that by works a man is justified. What did that just say? Paul just said that they're not saved by works. James says that we're justified by works. So we understand the balance there. That works, all the works without the blood of Jesus Christ, nothing. So works are important. And the only time that faith only, I want you to understand this, the only time that faith only is mentioned in the Bible is right here. What does it say? What does it say? That we're not justified by faith only, is what it says. But yet, the majority of denominations in this community today are teaching that we are saved by faith only. Let's continue on this thought. Are we saved by faith only? I think it's interesting that after Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, that there's this verse. For we are His workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We were created for what? Good works. That's our purpose. That is our purpose. I find that's interesting right after verses 8 and 9. Let's talk a little bit of that. Is faith the only thing that saves us? 
Hebrews 5 and 9 says, And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. So, eternal salvation equals obedience. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Who's going to go to heaven? But he that doeth the will of my Father. So you can see that we are justified by obedience and by works. Repentance. Are we saved by faith alone? Luke 13 and 3 says, I'll tell you, I'll tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall likewise perish. So you see, unless there's repentance, unless we turn our back on our old man and follow after Jesus Christ, what does the Bible say? Jesus said you will perish. Are we saved by faith alone? It appears that we need some repentance in there too. Acts 3.19, repent you therefore and be converted. Why? Why should we repent? So that your sins may be blotted out. So repentance, you see, is an external act that we are to do for salvation. How about confession? You know, we just read about those men that they believed in Jesus Christ, that He was the Messiah, but they wouldn't do something. That was this right here. Confession. But if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. There must be a confession that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Mark 16 and 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. 1 Peter 3, 21. The like figure whereunto even baptism also doth now save us. So we can see that, yes, faith does save us. Believing in God saves us. But you see, there's other things that save us as well, like repentance, confession, baptism. We can read Romans 8 and, and 24 says that we are saved by hope. There are many things. So it doesn't make sense that we can conclude out of Ephesians 2 and 8 and 9 that we are saved by faith alone. I'm drowning in water. I'm just, I can't swim, and I'm just trying everything I can to get breath, to get air, to get oxygen. And you see me out there in the water. There's a, a boat, and there's a life ring in that boat. So you go out there, you see me, and you see me struggling. And so instead of just paddling all the way to me and pulling me up, you're like, 
I got to get this raft before he drowns. So I, you throw that life ring out to yourself. And you say, Clint, save yourself. I grab onto that life ring and you just start pulling me in. You pull me inside of that boat to save me. That experience touched me. And so I tell everyone the story later. Did I ever tell you the time that I saved myself? If it wasn't for me grabbing hold of that, that life ring, I would not have made it. No, I wouldn't say it that way, would I? Or if it wasn't for that life ring, I wouldn't have been saved. No, I probably wouldn't have shared it that way either because that life ring would have stayed in the boat without someone throwing it out to me, right? No, I would say, if it wasn't for this individual caring for my life and going out there in that boat and throwing that thing and pulling me in, pulling me into that boat, they saved me. They saved me. You see, God and Jesus Christ are that person inside of that boat. And they are throwing that life ring up to us. And that life ring symbolizes many things. It symbolizes the blood of Jesus Christ. It symbolizes faith, repentance, confession, baptism, hope. Obedience, a lot of different things. But I say, no, no thank you, God. Then I, you see, there would be an external act on my part and nothing I can do can save myself. Uh, it wouldn't make sense, would it? But that's what people are teaching. You see, that's what people are teaching. That if you grab a hold of that, if you do something, then you, that, that didn't save you. No, it's like, that doesn't make sense. It would be like Naaman. After being told to go to the river of Jordan and dunking yourself seven times, and if you'll do that, you'll be cleansed of your leper. It would be like him boasting around and saying, Man, you see how low I got in the water? Man, I nailed it. Because of me nailing my donkey, I was saved. Oh, it's, we don't do that. That's not, that's not what we do when we're baptized. In fact, we don't even baptize ourselves. There's someone else doing it. We boast in the blood of Jesus Christ, don't we? Amen. It would be like the children of Israel when they walked around the walls of Jericho. God said, I want you to walk around those walls six days one time then on the seventh day I want you to walk around seven times then I want you to blow a trumpet and I want you to shout be like this post around you see how loud I shouted I think the whole world heard me do you see hear that trumpet sound man I blew with everything I've had you see how high I raised my legs I was marching those walls fell because of me no those children did not do that did they they didn't. They praised God that day because it was His power yes. that saved Him. Amen. And that's what Ephesians 2 and 8 and 9 is teaching us. It is trying to help us to understand grace. Like we are nothing without God's grace and His Son, Jesus Christ. And it's that grace that motivates us to do work. I remember what Paul said. He said, I work more than all the other apostles. More than they all not because of me, but because of the grace of God that inspired me. Because I killed Christians. And it meant so much to me because of my sins. And that's what motivates us each and every day. 
We are saved by the blood of Jesus, not of ourselves. But you see, we have to grab hold of that library. We have to do a little something. But it's nothing, really. But we have to do something. We have to answer the call. There's an invitation. We have to do something to accept it. Just like a gift, you have to open it up, don't you? That's the only part that we're asked to do. <laughs> I cannot boast about that. This morning, Paul died for a gospel. It was one gospel he died for. The apostles died for it. Jesus died for that one gospel. And let us die for it too, if it needs be. Jesus died for the death, burial, and resurrection. It cost him everything. There was not a man that was marred more than him. Did it for you and I. People are perverting that gospel every day. You're taking a little way, you're adding to it. And that's not to be. Let us proclaim the truth. Proverbs 23 and 23 says, Buy the truth and you sell it not. May we die for that gospel. May we obey that gospel. Death, burial, and resurrection. Thank you so much for your kind attention. There's been a song of invitation. If you would like to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one that Jesus died for, we ask you to come. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.